moment and lift our hands, lift our heart to this place today. Lord, thank you for making a way when there wasn't a way, Lord. You, you stepped in the gap for my sins, Lord, and I'm grateful for that today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my place on the cross. That should have been my punishment, but Lord, you did it for me, Lord, and you did it for each and every person. So God, I thank you. Lord, I give you praise and I give you honor on this day of remembrance. We worship you today, Jesus. We honor you today, Jesus. God, you made a way when there was no way. God, you made a way, Lord, when the veil was torn, Lord. You gave us access to you freely, Lord. And so now, because of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can say, hey, Lord, we need you. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we need you in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for that. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise in the house? It's so good to see you on this good Friday, and we're going to be talking about that in just a few moments, but uh, do me a favor, look at the person next to you, give them a fist bump, a high five, whatever you want to do, and just say, it is good to see you tonight, amen, and you may be seated, and I'm going to ask the, uh, I've asked some ushers to come, and they're going to be handing out um, some uh, our communion, communion elements, and if you are not a member of our church, we have open communion, and, and that's between you and God. And uh, I'll, when we before we do communion, I'll let you know. I'll give you instruction when we get to that point um, later on in the service. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come down. I'm going to attempt to do something tonight. Um, I just felt like the Lord kind of laid this song on my heart, and uh, felt like I wanted to try to sing this tonight. And uh, how many know that what God did on Calvary when Jesus came one of the things that he cried I'm going to talk about this on the cross was it is finished that covers your sins now in your past and in your future it is finished and there's some important things so while they're handing those out we're going to attempt to sing this song tonight
of praise in the house. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for what Christ did. Are you grateful for what Christ did for you? Scripture tells us there would be no remission of sin. I'm sorry. I, I, I hope I never get to the place in my relationship with God that I, I get over the goodness of the cross. It, it, it rocks my world because I don't deserve His grace. There's a single person in here that deserves God's grace. But He first loved you. And He first loved me. He loves you today. And I this isn't even what I was going to talk about, but I, I just feel in my heart that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you something? He loves you. He loves you. I, 
I've got a simple, simple subject. And I, I'm really, I'm just going to reiterate what Jesus said. That's, that's all I'm going to do tonight. And I, I, I've entitled this little bit of a topic here, The Message from the Cross. See, we call it Good Friday. Was it good for Jesus? It's good for me and you. But it wasn't good for Jesus. We call it Good Friday. And, and it must have been the darkest day in history when I begin to think back today. Hopefully you took some time. If you haven't, do this when you get home. Think back to the day. Read through the scripture of what Jesus endured in the last two days, last night, breaking bread with the disciples, being betrayed in the garden, being taken, put in the kangaroo court type trial with nothing really against him. But And then once that goes, he was betrayed by one of his disciples and all the others abandoned him. One followed him all the way to the cross. He was beaten with the cat of nine tails. <laughs> he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head, carrying his cross down the streets while doing so weak in body, being mocked. Ridiculed by those who just a few days earlier were waving palm branches at him and now ridiculing him. Lifted on the cross at Golgotha, took nails in his hands, nails in his feet. Scripture tells us that a spear pierced his side. Water began to flow. And I can tell you this, that our Savior, Jesus, bore all these things for your sins and for mine. And all the agony and the pain he would utter, seven things that I believe, this is my personal opinion, was one of the, the greatest sermons Jesus ever preached. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's the first one. I'm going to ask Carrie to come up here. And I've asked these some people to help me read these scriptures tonight. Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus said many wonderful things, but perhaps this is one of the most wonderful things the light of the world ever said. It's wonderful for you and I because here Jesus on the cross is more concerned about the people that are tormenting him than he is about himself. And it blows my mind. And he's more concerned with the damage that they are doing to themselves than what they were doing to him that day. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
more concerned for their salvation, for even those that were crucifying him, than his own pain and his own agony on the cross. His forgiveness was not based on their apology or on them changing. His forgiveness was just simply based on loving them. Even though he was pinned to the cross, the light of the world was the freest man that day because he knew how to forgive. And there's a lesson here for each and every one of us as believers. We've got to forgive. See, it's been said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was me. When there's unforgiveness in our hearts towards others, towards God, towards whatever situation, Jesus is being a great example to us right here on the cross. He could have gotten mad. And it's a good thing that I wasn't on the cross because I would have called down thunder and lightning right then and there. But it's a good thing Jesus was there. And he forgave us so that we could be forgiven of our own trespasses and forgive others as well. The light of the world, though pinned to the tree, defeated bitterness and darkness once and for all. So forgiveness, first thing that Jesus did. I'm going to ask my, my second person, Matt, I believe. Where you at? There you are, buddy. Luke 23, 39-43 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me. <laughs> remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. stop and think about how simple the plan of salvation really truly is. God's grand plan is so simple. Man complicates everything. We do. I can give you example after example. I could show you how God gave ten commandments and I could tell you how the Old Testament they created 600 plus different rules that the Jewish people had to live by. And Jesus, being on the cross, hearing the criminal would simply say, simply, you acknowledge who I am, and you ask me to remember you, it's done. You're going to be with me in paradise. Simple. Simple. See, I, I, the, you know, I was thinking about this, and there's something simply prof uh how simple, profoundly simple is the gospel and simply profound is the gospel, really. It really is. They haven't been able to do it the last two years, but every Good Friday and 
executed Philippines. They literally reenact the crucifixion. And they take people and for five to 15 minutes, they actually hang them on a cross and nail their hands and nail their feet. And they actually do this. It's, and honestly, when I look at that, I think, how sad. Because the truth of the matter, what Christ did completed that work. And it's not that hard. The gospel is simply acknowledging God and asking him to remember you. Not how many times you've been baptized that saves you. It's not how much scripture you can quote that saves you. It's not how many times you've taken communion that saves you. Can I tell you the only thing that saves you is Jesus' blood and your belief in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. And Jesus would say this to the thief. He would say, I will remember you. Man, I don't know about you, but if I'd have been that thief today, I would have felt some comfort on that cross. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16 says, can a woman forget her nursing child? And I can tell you, having a wife that has been a mother to three kids, no way. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the, on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. This is the Lord talking to us, talking to Israel. He's talking to you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, what a joy to know that in the sunset of your life, or maybe you're on death's bed, it's not baptism that saves you, it's not communion that saves you, it's simply just believing on the Lord. I can recommend something to you. It's better to be saved now than to wait for the end of your life because you may not be given that chance. But can I tell you this? Will we as a group of people, as a church, as believers, remember Jesus? And, and we're going to do that in a few moments when we, when, we, when we go through our communion. And honestly, but it's a joy to know that when we remember Jesus, that he remembers us and that he has wrote your name of his hands. Man, I love that. I'm going to ask my, my third person to come up here. Kenzie, I think. Yes. John 19, 26 through 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The third point is the family tree. The salvation of the world is hanging in the balance, and Jesus is concerned about his earthly mother. I think that's awesome. Your sins and my sins are weighing on him, and everyone's sins are weighing on him. 
he has the compassion to look down on his earthly mother and say, I, I can't abandon you. He looks at John, the only one that followed him all the way to the cross. I like how John wrote this. He wrote this. He said he's the disciple that whom Jesus loves. Of course, he writes that about himself, you know. That's okay. But he's there, and Jesus from the cross looks down and says, John, behold your mother. Mom, he's, he's going to be your son because I can't be your son anymore. I want to be your savior. In an age where families are broken more and more frequently, seen than, uh, we see broken families oftentimes more than we do see whole families. I, I was on a phone call today with a gentleman who was trying to help us get involved in the community. I, I loved every bit of it. He said, there's this program and this program. And we were talking about broken families in our county. And as I begin to think about that, and I, I begin to think of that the truth of the matter is the Lord ordained family before he ordained the church. And the enemy knows that if he can attack the family, he can break down society. Let me tell you something, there's strength in the family. In an age where there's broken families, where divorce rates are higher than ever, where children are more rebellious and more broken than they've ever been, the answer to all these issues is not found in going to Hawaii for the fifth time with your family. Hey, if you can do that, go for it. But it's not the answer. And it's not going out and throwing the football. And it's not, definitely not playing Monopoly with your family one more time. But honestly, the answer to any issue that you have in your family is found at the foot of the cross. There's proof right here. There's proof right here. And can I tell you this? Family happens at the cross. Family happens at the cross. And at the cross, mother and son are bound together. Father and daughter are bound together. Husband and wife are bound together. Brothers and sisters are bound together. Can I tell you something? If you have an issue with one of your, one of your siblings, get it right. Get it right. It's, it's not worth it. But the, at the cross... We're reminded that forgiveness happens at the cross. Can I tell you, if you have an issue with one of your families, go ask for forgiveness. Why? What if I'm not wrong? Go ask for forgiveness. Open that door. So family is found at the foot of the cross. Number four. Mark 15, 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lemma, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? statement Jesus when he's praying to his father he always called him father but in this moment he's 
call him God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus made that cry, and he preached this point, referring to Scripture. And, and, and you need to understand, understand something. During Jesus' time, we didn't, they didn't have the Bible broken down like we have the Bible. We can open our Bibles and go to whatever Scripture, you know, the preacher's speaking. But at that point, it was mainly the priest had access to it. And so when the priest would get up and begin to speak the Word of God, they had to pick up on key things. And they would have to figure out kind of where the where the priest was. Some of you are like, man, thank goodness we don't have to do that here. That would be really tough, you know, if I just open my Bible and be like, figure out where I am, guy. But that's what they would do. But during Jesus' day, that's how they did it. And, and, and the priest would read the opening statement, and the students of the Word would have to figure out where it was at. But Jesus here, he's quoting something out of Psalm 22. If you haven't read it, I need you to go back tonight. I'm going to give you some homework. Go read Psalm 22. It is a beautiful picture of the crucifixion. Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? He's quoting the psalm there. Why is Jesus quoting this? And, and I begin to think about this. If you look at the, the language that he is reading this in, this is, this is Aramaic. You say, well, what's the point in that? There's, there's some significance to that because Jesus quoting this in, in Aramaic. And then not only is it written in Aramaic in your Bible, but then it's translated for us to be able to understand. I think that's pretty awesome. But why is he doing that? Simply is, is this. In Jesus' day, Hebrew was considered the advanced or scholarly language. And when someone spoke in Hebrew, they were talking scholarly to someone. Men would talk to men in Hebrew. Men would not talk to women in Hebrew because they didn't have the education, wasn't equal then. And men wouldn't talk to children in Hebrew. So Aramaic was for the child. Aramaic was for the woman. But I love Jesus' use of Aramaic here because you know what that tells me? He loves the kids. He's including the women. He's including us understand what he's going through in that in that moment and Jesus would speak this in Aramaic not to just quote scripture but to say that no matter if you are a man if you are a woman if you are a child if you are educated that you would know what he's saying that every person would know Jesus and that his father was turning his back on him the first time in history as darkness surrounded the cross and the language of women and children saying, this is my fear. This is what I've been scared of. It, it hasn't been necessarily dying on the cross, but being full of everybody's sin and seeing the Father turn his back on me for the first time in history. Are you getting what I'm saying today? Fear of being separated from the Father, and oftentimes, this is me and this is you, but our fear, fears are often where my next paycheck is coming from, and my fears are often what the doctor's report is going to be, and my fears are often wondering what's going on with my, with my marriage, but, and oftentimes, to get a quick answer, sometimes I will turn my back on the Father. 
And Jesus would pray in the garden the night before, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And what he's praying there is, Lord, I don't want to be away from you. God, I don't want to be away from you. I don't want to be separated from you. Not because he's afraid of people, and not because he's afraid of death, but this is what he did. He was the propitiation for our sins. That's a fancy word is he footed the bill. He paid the price. He covered it. And he bore our sins, and the Father turned his face away. And can I tell you, in Jesus' example, my fear should be the Father turning his face away from me. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And let me tell you something. If you have the right fear with God, we don't have to be afraid. And I say this, God, help me, help me to be afraid of being out of touch with you. That should be my greatest fear. should be my greatest fear. Number five. This statement, I thirst. This statement, I thirst, is amazing to me because it shows Jesus' humanity. How many have been thirsty in the building? You know what that shows? Your humanity. That you have a need. Psalm 69, 21 says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Talking about Jesus. Look at this. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen says, my tongue sticks to my jaw. In the fulfillment of scripture, he emphasizes his physical suffering. He suffered spiritually. We talked about that just a second ago. When he cried out in Aramaic, he's, he's, he's suffering spiritually. But he also suffered physically. The Bible says he was marred more than any other man. And can I tell you something? It shows his humanity. The God, the creator of the universe came and dwelled and he lived among us like us. He knew what it was like to run and get out of breath. He knew what it was like to be punched by your brother. He knew what it was like to feel pain and sorrow. He was thirsty at this moment on the cross. He felt pain on the cross. And it's been said that the pleasure of love lasts for a moment, but pain of love lasts for a lifetime. I don't know. That's 100% true, but I could tell you this. The pain that Christ endured for us will last a lifetime. And, and it shows just not in word, but also in deed what he did for us. The pain that he felt was not just something he said. It's something he lived through, and it sh it's proven. See, when we are going through pain and when we are going through sickness, we 
have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who's already dealt with pain here on earth as a human. He knows what you're going through. And let me tell you something. When we pray to him, he can sympathize and empathize with you in the pain that you are in. His humanity, his suffering. Number six. sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. greatest words spoken in history over mankind. It was not make my day. It was not warm and sunny. I hope Easter's warm and sunny. And it was not biscuits and gravy. Three words I do like. But it was preached from a wooden pulpit called the cross. He would say, it is finished means there's nothing else to do. It is finished. A man came to the evangelist Alexander Wooten and asked, using this biblical phrase, what must I do to be saved? And Wooten says, said this. He said, it's too late. And the man was shocked. He said, it's too late. You mean I can't do anything? And Wooten said this. It's too late. It's already been done for you. The only thing left for you to do is to believe that it's done. It is finished comes from the Greek saying, to the less die. And when a lamb was brought to a priest for sacrifice, they would examine the lamb. And they would look at the lamb. And if the lamb was all right, they would say, to the less die. The lamb is perfect. Look at this. When an artist, a Greek artist, would finish their work of art, they would say, Telelestai. And when a merchant would complete a transaction, he would say, Telelestai. And when a servant completed a task for his master, he would say, Telelestai. Look at this. I want to show you something amazing right here. Jesus was the spotless, perfect lamb slain on the cross. It is finished. That's where we get that word, Telelestai. It is finished. The artist of Jesus begin to paint the picture of salvation for all of us to know. It is finished. The merchant Jesus that paid the price in full for your sins and mine on the cross till die. It is finished. The servant the servant of Jesus who gave all to complete the task of being the propitiation for my sins. It is done. It is finished. Not by what we should do, but what He already has done. Number seven.
when we are on our deathbeds and we are looking over our lives, make sure it's a life worth looking back over. It's a life worth watching again. Jesus, on the edge of dying, he lived a life that was worth watching and looking over and knowing. He's quoting here Psalms 31.5. says this, it says, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. This was a prayer that was prayed by Jewish, Jewish mothers, and they would teach their children to pray before they went to sleep. Lord, in, into our hands we commend ourselves. God, we give ourselves to you. They would pray this every night. And here Jesus would quote this as those last words as if to say, I'm confident in the Father. I'm in your hands, Father. You've got me. Can I ask you this today? Do you have confidence in the Lord that he has, that, ha, that he has you in the palm of his hand? Do you have confidence today that God has you in the palm of his hand? If you were to leave this life today, would you know that you are going to heaven, you're going to make heaven your home, and you have a relationship with Jesus? Can I tell you, if you don't know that, you need to know Jesus. You need to be confident. And I think as believers, we need to be confident. And as we get older in life, to be confident knowing that the grave is just the beginning for us. I mean, to us as humans, we see it as the end. But honestly, in the big scale of things to eternity, it is just the beginning for us. As a believer in Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? This is the closest that I'll ever be to going to hell. And as a non-believer, this is the closest that someone will be to go to heaven. And your choice today to know Jesus is an important one. And I want to do this today. I want to give you a chance to know Jesus with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit at this moment. I want to give you a chance to know Jesus today. You heard me talk about him dying on the cross, paying your debt in full, covering your sin. If you don't know Jesus under the sound of my voice, it's simple. God, I'm going to acknowledge who you are. And Lord, will you remember me? Lord, we ask. Lord, we believe. Lord, we confess with our mouth. It's, it's that simple. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to pierce the hearts that are here Lord, if they don't know you as their personal Savior, God, I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you an invitation right here, right now, in this Good Friday service. There's no better time and no better place. If you just lift your hand, anybody in the building tonight. If we wait just a moment. Wait just a moment. for being patient. Just wait just a more, one, one more moment here. All right. Look at me, everyone, if you will. Down here, seven candles, seven sayings. Jesus said off the cross. And in Seven being the number of completion, being the number of perfection. 
Isn't that cool how God works? Isn't that so cool how God works? Listen, number one, he said this, forgiven. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. We are forgiven. And because we are forgiven, guess what? We can forgive others. Amen. Number two, he said, remember me. The thief on the cross said, remember me. The gospel is simple. Believe in God. That's, it's that simple. Lord, I believe in you. I acknowledge who you are. I know who you are. God, will you save me? Yes, I'll see you in paradise. Simple. Number three, the family tree. The family starts at the, at the foot of the cross. Can I tell you something? God has your family knit together. You are together. God wants to strengthen your families. Let me tell you something. Your families, the best thing you can do is, is come together at the, at the foot of the cross. Because let me tell you something. We're all equal at the bottom, at the foot of the cross. Not, no one greater than the other. We're all in need of Jesus. And that puts us on an equal playing ground. I don't care what your race is. I don't care how much money you have, if, how poor you are. It does not matter. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Number four, the depravity of being separated from God. May, may I fear that in my life, Lord. I, I, I always want to see your face. I always want to hear your voice. Just like Jesus. God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to see that, God. Always be in my life. The Lord. And number five, the Lord gave, gave up his deity to become a man like us. Mercy on the cross. Showing his humanness. Thank you for coming down from heaven for a sinner like me. You could have called angels, but you didn't. Number six, it is finished. That one rocks me every time. I'm sorry. It is finished. It is done. He did it on Calvary. He paid the price. All you have to do is believe in him. Number seven, complete peace in God's name. See, seven places Jesus bled from his body. And the priest, they would put seven sprinkles of blood on the mercy seat. Seven was the number of candles in the tabernacle. And, and the candlestick holders in the tabernacle. Seven was the amount of churches mentioned in Revelation. There's a lot of, lot of things about seven in the Bible. But can I tell you something? God is perfect. And God is complete. And that's how God works. And I love that. Hebrews says this. That he is the author the finisher of our faith and Jesus completed his purpose on the cross now I want to jump ahead and get to the tomb just like you guys do the empty tomb but can I tell you something he had to endure the cross before he could raise again and today he is perfecting us and he is he is loving us and Jesus completed his purpose on the cross and in his perfect love set you free and set me free once and for all and I love that can we just lift our hands in here and just give Jesus adoration and praise? Can we just love on him and begin to thank him for the sacrifice that, that he gave on Calvary? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your powerful words.
Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move forward. If you have your communion elements there, and I'm gonna ask the worship team to, to come back up with us here. We take communion here. The scripture tells us to take it as often as, as we want, but but to do it in remembrance of him. And, and the reason we do it is to remember the price that Jesus paid. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus ate his last supper with his disciples. And knowing that he would accomplish through the sacrifice, he instituted communion. And his loving instruction is that we are to remember him as we partake of this communion. I might add this. I mentioned this earlier. Communion does not save you. Your belief in Jesus Christ saves you, okay? This is just to remember Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus wanted us to remember how his body was broken for our wholeness. If you know someone who's sick in body, his body was broken for your wholeness. And his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And whenever we partake in this remembrance, 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Today, when we partake of the bread, we are declaring that Jesus' health and divine life flows in our mortal bodies. And when we partake of the cup, we are declaring that we are forgiven and have been made righteous. And Jesus' blood gives us the right standing before God, and we can go boldly into God's presence, according to Hebrews 4.16. Before we partake, remember that communion is, communion is not a ritual to be observed, but it, it's a blessing to be received. We're not doing this because of a ritual. We're doing it to, to show remembrance of what Christ did for us, and it is a blessing for us. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says this, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul's warning here is he's, he's telling them, hey, examine your heart. Make sure there's nothing in your life. And so at this moment, this is what I want to do. I want to just take a moment just right where you're at between you and God, no one else. Bow your head if you want. You can close your eyes. But I want you to ask the Lord to search your heart. Say, God, is there something in my life that 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 I need that needs to be revealed? Is there something I'm holding on? Is there unforgiveness? Is there something inside of me that needs to be broken? Can you do that for just a few moments? Hold up the bread. Let's pray. Lord, you were wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. God, I'm thankful for your broken body. 
God, just like this bread is made, Lord, it, it goes through a beating process to get to the place that, that it is. Lord, you, you went through a beating and a kneading process to, to get to where you needed to be. But, Lord, it was for my sake. God, I thank you for that, Lord. God, may I never get over the pain and the torment that you felt on the cross and the agony that you felt on the cross, your pain convulsing, your body convulsing in pain. But in love, Lord, you cared more about those around you and you looked ahead in the corridors of time and saw us today sitting in a church knowing that we would need a Savior, Lord, and you took it for us. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your body. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless this, God, as we remember, Lord, what you took on the cross that day. Go ahead and take the bread. Hold up the, the cup. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for the blood that you shed on Calvary. Lord, the blood that still flows today that covers my sin, covers my disgraces, covers my weaknesses, but in love, Lord, blood ran on that cross. Down your face, Lord, as thorns pierced your brow, down your back, Lord, as you took a beating on your back from your side, Lord, blood and water flowed, Lord, from your hands and from your feet, Lord. Lord, if it had not been for your blood, there would be no remission of sin. So, God, I say thank you. And I say thank you, Jesus, for what you did on Calvary. And for forgiving me, will you take the cup? Come on, can you stand with me? Can you stand with me all across this building? Can we lift our hands? We give you adoration, Lord. For completing the work on the cross. We love you, Jesus. Lord, we honor you, Jesus. Come on, let's sing this song. I think you know it. Come on, sing it out.
aren't you thankful for what Jesus did on Calvary? Aren't you thankful for the price that he paid? The blood that was shed for your sins and my sins. I'm grateful for that. Listen, I, I, I love Calvary. I love to talk about Calvary because it reminds me of where I should be and where I, what, what should have been me. But he took my place. But the story doesn't end there. You know, you know, just come Sunday. Come Sunday. You, you know Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. But let me tell you something. He, he covered the price for you and me. And it's been paid in full in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you one more time give Jesus uh, uh, adoration and praise? I, w- I want to remind you, I want to remind you, Sunday morning, 8.30 and 10.30, do me a favor, if you're if you're a, a home folk and you're here all the time, do me a favor, we need to try to space out as best as we can. The, why are we doing that? To make room for people is what we're doing. Now, I can tell you this, we're, we're probably going to have more visitors at the 10.30 service and the 8.30 service. Is that a better service? No, it's the same service. You're going to hear the same message, the same songs, everything. Uh, but we want you to be there. And if you will do us a favor, hey, if you could come to the early service and help us just space out and do that, that would be great. Help your pastor out. Listen, we want to make sure that we make room for as many people as we can. And we're going to do that to the best of our ability. Amen. All right, you guys with me? All right. God bless you guys. I pray that you guys have a have a great rest of your evening. And I want you to do something. Look at Psalms 22 tonight. I, I dare you. I triple dog dare you to grab it and read about what Jesus endured. Read Psalms 22 and see how it compares to Jesus. All right, they're going to sing this, and you guys can be dismissed. Shake someone's hand.